0: Welcome to the Shepherd's Creek Podcast. This ministry exists to provide coaching, resources, and events for pastors and church members. My name is Jared Sparks. Join me as I talk pastoral ministry, applied theology like manhood and womanhood, political theology, and cultural analysis with a little bit of hunting and fishing thrown in. I'm a husband, a father, and a pastor, and I'm here to remind you of the chief pastor and our King, Jesus. Welcome to the Shepherd's Creek Podcast. I hope you guys are having a great day today. As usual, I want to front load this set episode with a few announcements, and then I'm excited to have a conversation that you've probably not heard before, and I think is going to be quite helpful for pastors that are listening in, in particular. But I think really for everyone today, you're going to be encouraged and challenged. Uh, married couples, this might be one of those episodes that you want to listen to together, But first, I want to remind you about the Sons and Slaves podcast that I have with my boys. Ransom and Valor have been doing a phenomenal job co-hosting this show. This is a show for fathers and sons, and we are talking about the process of boyhood on the way to becoming men. And so we're going through the book, "Boyhead and Beyond by Bob Schultz, chapter by chapter, pulling out lessons as I'm teaching and training my sons up into manhood. Would love for you guys to check that out. It has just been so much fun. We're talking a lot about hunting right now uh, as well, just kind of putting some things that are going on in our life into these episodes. And so I think you guys would really enjoy that. Uh, please check that out if you can. We are sons of our Father and we are slaves of our Master King Jesus, and so we're having a really good time with that. Also, just recorded this morning a fruitful and fearless episode. We've been taking a mini, not really a hiatus, but it's just been a two months. It's almost felt like a hiatus as we've been ramping up until our next baby. Uh, we've uh, just not been able to record as much, and so we've got an episode actually coming out later today. So this is probably two weeks past at this point, but fruitful and fearless is back up and going, um, and. Uh, and then finally, if you want to be a part of the newsletter, would love for you to reach out to me and, and get you on board with the newsletter in support of the show. Without any further ado, I am overjoyed to introduce you to Dr. David Edgington today, and we're going to be talking about the abusive wife. Dr. Edgington, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Jared.
0: Thanks Good. for having me Glad to have you. Why don't we go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we have got some questions and great conversation points. Let's get into it after the prayer. Excellent. Father, we just thank you for this time. I thank you for Dr. Edgington and his willingness to discuss issues about marriage and, in particular, the sins of many wives throughout this country and throughout this world that seem to go unaddressed or untalked about. And I thank you that we have this opportunity and we have the ladies that are listening in that are godly women that want to hear what you have to say to them. And uh, God, we know that as men, we want to hear what you've called us to, what you've prohibited us from and what you've limited us from. And for the ladies, God, I pray for just the the basic Christian courage and zeal to desire your commands to them, your prohibitions to them, and your limitations for them, that they would embrace them. And lead this time. Thank you for Dr. Edgington. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, David, why don't you go and just tell us about yourself because I'm getting to know you as well. This is our first conversation. I will give a shout out real quick to Will Spencer from the Renaissance of Men. He connected us and I'm thankful for him uh, for doing that. Why don't you go and just tell us about yourself so we can get get to know you a little bit.
1: Good. Amen. Yeah, Will and I have become friends since our podcast too, just as an aside. He's a a good brother. I Yes. So well, I I um I'm 63 years old. I have four wonderful sons and an even more wonderful wife, and um, I've been a senior pastor for 32 years. The last 12 years, I've been a senior pastor of a snowbird church. So that's a church where people come from other parts of the country and then they fly down here to to sunny Arizona over the winter time, and um, I'm a Snowbird pastor for six months. But my full-time work for the last 20 years has been as a New thetic counselor. So that's that's kind of the the major emphasis of my ministry. And scripture talks about being devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word in Acts 6, 4. So ministering God's word is serving it, whether you're preaching it publicly to a large group of people or privately ministering it as a shepherd of your flock and, yeah. and ministering God's word to make. Customized application to to the people, so I, I just look at both of those as crucial aspects to pastoral ministry.
0: Yeah, Amen. And really, with biblical counseling, it is a, a overflow of the sufficiency of Scripture in all of life. We're wanting to say God's Word has clarity here on how we're to approach this thing. So, wh- how, how did you get into biblical counseling? Then, is it, it seems like you've been in pastoral ministry longer than you've been in, in the counseling world? So, how did that that yeah. get you into? The counseling yeah. world or was that the connection?
1: <clears throat> well, it's interesting. I went to a one of the best seminaries in the in the nation, probably in the world. And um it was excellent in every area except for counseling. Okay. Counseling, it was a secular approach. It was psychology. And I was just kind of wandering, figuring, okay, I, I know how to preach. I know exegesis, hermeneutics, I know Greek and Hebrew, and you know, I know all of these things, but I don't know what to do to help a person that's struggling in life. And um, and actually, it was the failure of my seminary that led me to pursue learning about biblical counseling and specifically neuthetic counseling. We can talk a little bit that, about that later, the distinction. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, Jay Adams himself actually invited me into learning more about neuthetic counseling because I met him at a conference and um, it, was, it was actually while I was in seminary. Because okay. I was thinking, man, I, I just don't, I don't know what to do. How do I help people? I mean, I'm yeah. learning great stuff about the scriptures and how come I can't use that in counseling people? And and so that just kind of started a process and it took me, took me a while to learn about biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. But, but then once I did and a series of events happened and it actually became a full-time ministry, people started sending their people from their churches to me for counseling. And it just kind of mushroomed from there. But, mm. uh, but yeah, I've been doing, I've do, doing it full time for 20 years now. And that's uh, wonderful.
0: Now, did I, you see a couple of years ago and psychology today actually picked this up, but there was a, a breakthrough study that really it just tore down the idea that depression and anxiety was connected to serotonin levels and chemical imbalances. Did you see that article that was floating around a couple of years ago?
1: I did not see that. Okay. No. It sounds well, familiar.
0: It, It really is is quite profound and, you know, some of the science is catching up here of of understanding that, you know, the DSM-5 is like a massive, there's there's categories for everything. It's just all these issues and and problems that people have that they throw their problems upon. And and I understand that there's a complexity to the issues that, that people deal with, certainly, but it's just more and more there is a reality of of the spiritual life and what is happening within our body in connection to repentance or lack thereof and everything that happens within our life it's it's so intertwined and interconnected and what i love about New that counseling is that uh really apart from the caricature of new methodic counseling that that people like to throw against you you know like well do you learn you know knee surgery from the bible no well, then how can you learn counseling from the bible that kind of you know caricature there it really is an overworld. We, we need to talk about repentance here and, and how this is affecting your lack of repentance is affecting your life. So would you make those distinctions? Because I there are, it seems to be darts thrown across the aisle from Christian psychology and euthetic counseling. That's quite unfair, I think. more unfair to those that are in your world. And you see these battles happening everywhere and you get into that Christian psychology world and they're using the Enneagram and, and talking about crazy weird stuff. And you guys are over here and saying, but the scriptures, hello. So would you just make that distinction? Most of the pastors listening in are going to know some of the, the the controversy or the the conflict back and forth, but for the sake of those that may not know, would you just highlight the difference? What's the difference between a counseling and Christian psychology?
1: See I'll make it I'll make even a, a a finer distinction than that too because uh psychology first of all is a secular um, philosophy it's mm-hmm. a, and it's not just one there's hundreds if not thousands of psychological theories but it's basically trying to change an outward man it's trying to change someone from the outside but a biblical approach is going to say that's not enough you have to have a good understanding of anthropology mm-hmm. uh, martiology got to understand about progressive sanctification you have to have a good christology and pneumatology y- you know you've got to have all of these pieces functioning together and coordinated together so that you can address the soul of of man the puritans were known as the physicians of the soul and mm-hmm. that's what we should be we should be i don't know how to set a broken bone i can't do brain surgery and the bible doesn't tell me how to do that but I, I do know what's going on in a person's soul, because I know what's going on in my own soul, too. Yeah. So, so biblical counseling strives to address that. It says the change needs to happen inside of you. And here's the other part. I, as the counselor, I don't change anybody. I've mm-hmm. never changed a single person in my life, but God has used me as a means of grace to change them through the scriptures, bringing conviction and bringing about repentance so faith Mm -hmm. repentance is what we're looking for but many of the so-called problems that people have are defined as medical problems they're really spiritual problems yeah i even counsel people that have what's called mental illness in our society today that's a whole nother topic we could talk about but um you know just the idea of being mentally ill is obviously a metaphorical idea, because your mental capacity cannot be ill, your body mm. can be ill, but your thought processes cannot cannot be ill. So, you know, so we have, in the church, we have given a lot of ground over to the secular realm. And, and it's sad that many pastors just, they shop out their flock to, to turn them over to a psychologist or, a or a Christian counselor. And, and instead of, you know, the pastor is a shepherd, he's the yeah. one that needs to be take, taking care of his sheep, uh, you know, not just teaching them good things, but helping them and mm-hmm. and healing their wounds and, and ministering to their soul. So, so here's another distinction, I kind of alluded to it, but even between what's called Christian counseling and biblical counseling. So Christian counseling is someone who professes to be a Christian that counsels, but you really don't know what they're basis is what's their foundation right. it could be psychology it could be the bible most people that i've talked to that go to a christian counselor they say you know they never prayed with me in mm-hmm. the bible they didn't do what you did when we started the podcast we got to pray because why are we praying we're saying we need god to help us we're not wise enough and smart enough to do this on our own mm-hmm. so so that's a christian counselor a biblical counselor at least is going to say okay we're going to use the bible as our source, and as our authority, and it is sufficient. It addresses every problem of living. It doesn't tell you how to, you know, cure the common cold or or heal cancer, or things like that, but it does address any problem in your, in your heart. Mm-hmm. That's the confidence that we have to have as believers. It's been interesting in the last five or 10 years, people have been changing about this. They've been coming more to me in the last few years than they did 20 years ago, 20 mm-hmm. years ago. Oh, you're one of those crazy, you know, conspiracy guys. And you know, (laughs) we we used to be called the nothing but people, nothing but the Bible. Uh And and, you know, and now people are going, Well, you know, the world is bankrupt. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Trying to teach us. And we need what does God have to say? And I go, Boy, I'm glad you've asked. Let's look at it
0: together. It's it's a bizarre thing because I mean, I've been around pastors for a long time now. And it almost becomes a badge of honor, David, when pastors are like, "Yeah, I don't counsel anybody anymore." And yeah. it's the weirdest thing where it, it's like somehow the pastors listening in are supposed to be impressed with that. Like, oh, you can actually work work yourself out of soul care. <laughs> like, very, like very wait a minute, powerful. this is, isn't this what God has called us to?
1: I was mocked when I, I you know, I started being a pastor when I was thirty two, and I was I was mocked. For doing biblical counseling by my fellow pastors, by most yeah. of them. Why, why would they mock me? I don't get this. I I don't understand this. Oh, you just think the Bible is enough. I'm like, you don't think uh, the Bible is <laughs>
0: enough?
1: Yeah. I'm concerned. And these are conservative pastors. These are yeah. not liberals. These are not guys from mainline denominations. They're they're solid people, good teachers, yeah. good preachers, but they're not shepherds. They're not pastors. What does a pastor mean? It means someone that cares for his flock. So, you yeah, absolutely,
0: that. yes, and amen. I use this phrase a lot to kind of diagnose and help people understand what what are they more familiar with, and I, what I'll say is the more familiar you are with the world, the more you're going to question God's word. The more familiar you are with the word, the more you're going to question God's world. And exactly. the difficulty when looking at the pastorate for, and I'm not saying that all. I mean, there's a lot of really good pastors, and we we were talking before. We are recording. There's a lot of good pastors with bad congregations and a lot of bad congregations with bad pastors, unfortunately. But when it comes to this particular area, it seems like th- there's not the triggers that go off in pastor's mind when they even think about people that need soul care. Their first thought, it seems to be, is who can I get to address this because I'm ill-equipped? Right. Where it's like what What should happen is, wait a minute, you are the one that is equipped. So. Right. How, what do you think? What do you think the of the factors? Eternal life. You've got yeah, the word exactly, exactly. So, but what are the factors? Is it because of uh, the, the culture of experts? Is it because of you know such a, you know, I, I mean, everybody is a, a master of you know one particular thing, or w- what is it that leads pastors to think I'm so ill equipped for this?
1: Well, I'd have to say it starts in the seminaries. Starts okay. in the training grounds, you know, Bible colleges and seminaries that basically convince pastors that you can't do it. You don't know what to do, there's no way to do it. Now, mm-hmm. they'll tell you you can learn Greek and Hebrew and and hermeneutics and homiletics and exit, you know, you could do all of these things, but when it comes to counseling it's like, no, no, you got to go to the experts on that. And mm-hmm. again, I feel back to the puritans. The puritans said, "We're the physicians of the soul. We're the ones that can help you." I mean, you read yeah. a puritan Book and you go, they go through one verse and it's it's a whole book on one verse and and subpoint twenty seven. Yeah, exactly. It's (laughs) like man, you know, they they drill down so deeply in the scriptures and you come away reading that and say, wow, this book itself has ministered to my soul. Imagine if I was right in front of John Owen or Jonathan Edwards or Thomas Watson or, you know, I I mean, it's it must have been incredible to be under the ministry of these men.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get the great joy of doing a lecture for our church in two or three Wednesday or Monday nights from now on the Puritans. And so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Let's switch gears here and let's talk about a book that you wrote eight years ago that as Will Spencer said, it was almost prophetic. Identifying where we are today to the point that almost 80% of marriages, uh, of divorces anyways, are initiated by women. It's a provocative title. It would have been a provocative title eight years ago, but let's unpack it. Your book is called The Abusive Wife. Right. And I would love for you to explain why you wrote the book and how difficult it was to publish it and what has happened since that point that you wrote the book. Yeah.
1: It was actually a book I did not want to write. You know, I, I just thought, you know, why, why write a book like this? But you mean that,
0: that there's not bookshelves full at Barnes and Noble on the abusive wife?
1: Well, there's no <laughs> biblical ones. <laughs> There's a number of secular books on okay. this. Not a lot, but there are a number of secular books. But even now, Jared, eight years later, there is still not another biblical approach to this issue, which wow. which just shocks me. Now, I'll clarify, too, for those that have not read my book, and I would encourage any of the listeners, if this, if anything we talk about does interest you, get a copy of my book. You can get it from my website, but it's basically on Amazon, um, and I'll tell you why it's on Amazon in a moment, but um, the reason that I wrote the book was basically because it was nothing on the topic. I, I couldn't find anything on this, and yet I kept coming across these problems in counseling, and I thought, I wonder why there isn't th- anything written on this. So I used the word abusive wife and i and I used it hesitating, hesitatingly, because it's really not the most refined word. It's kind of a very general word, and it's a and it's a misused word. Everything is abuse now. You know, you disagree with somebody, you're abusing them. you you tell somebody, you rebuke somebody. It's like you're abusing them. It's like, but I used the word because it was common. people people understood it. People resonated mm-hmm. with it. But really, the words, as I define it in the beginning of the book, is the, is the word "revile." You revile someone when you use words as a non-contact weapon, and there's many instances of reviling in the scriptures. In fact, the proverbs talk a lot about uh, the reviling, the reviling wife, and um, you know what that what that looks like. But um, the the reason that I could not I could not get it published by a Christian publisher because they said that it was too controversial. Hmm. They said it's really not that big of a problem. These are all off the record comments. Nobody wanted to go on record in saying this and and some just plowed out, ignored it. Hmm. And I thought that's strange. I'm seeing so many cases of this. Why? Why is this controversial? Why is it that we're talking about what the Word of God says? Uh, you know that, that uh, you know how many how many scriptures in the Book of Proverbs? I'll just can I just read a few of them. I yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Them down. Uh, Proverbs 19:13. A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarrelling is a continual dripping of rain. So, you know, this is this is talking about, you know, you you need to find some alternative housing because there's no escape from a bitter and contentious wife. Mm -hmm. Proverbs 21, nine, it's better to live in a corner of the house top than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. So there's no peace. You know, the husband cannot find any peace. There's no corner sanctuary of the house where he can go. So he goes right to the pinnacle of the roof, the furthest point away. In the house to escape her. Now, men that are listening to this podcast with a with a, a reviling wife, they're gonna go, that's exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Men that have never lived in that situation to go, I don't understand that.
0: Yeah, and praise God that I don't understand that.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So uh the same passage is quoted in in Proverbs 25, 24. It's uh the same, same words. Proverbs 21, 19. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman so now it takes it to another level so the rooftop can bring some temporary relief but but now you know he, he'd rather be out in the middle of the desert he'd rather be out in the desert of phoenix arizona than yeah than to to be with her uh proverbs 27 15 and 16 a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike to restrain or is to restrain the wind or grasp oil in one's hand again quarrelsome contentious uh the dripping of rain um Proverbs 12 4 She who brings shame to her husband is like rottenness to his bones. That's the deep soul pain. And I'll just give you one more Proverbs 14 1, because this one kind of summarizes okay. the, the reviling wife. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Hmm. And this is this is what the husband is going through. This is what the man is enduring in, in that marriage to a reviling wife. She's bitter, she's controlling she's always angry, she's not submissive, she won't follow her husband, she wants to be in charge, she wants to control, Mm -hmm. she's Genesis 3.16, this is where Mm -hmm. the problem started, was as the, I think the ESV has the best translation on Genesis 3.16, that um, uh, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you, Mm -hmm. so it's a contrary she wants to control she wants to be in charge she does not want to follow him she does not want to submit to him and so this is this is the spring from which everything else flows is that kind of an angry bitter entitled heart Mm -hmm. um you know i have counseled pastors with wives like that i've counseled missionaries with pastors uh, with wives like that and 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 Jared, since I've for some reason, about six months ago, seven months ago, I was contacted to do a podcast on this on okay. this topic. And I've done, I think, maybe five or six of them since then. Mm-hmm. And you would not believe how many men have contacted me. Wow. Since then. I have I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Hundreds of men have come out of the woodwork. And here's what they've said. They've said, I listened to your podcast. It describes what's going on in my marriage. And then I got your book, and it was and it was as if you had a video camera in my house, and you wow. were, you were taping everything that happened in in my home. And then the next thing they said was, I went to my church, my pastor, my biblical, even neuthetic counselor, and they blamed me for the problems. Hmm i mean it's 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 frightening it is so common it's so pervasive that these are not bad men these are not angry aggressive hostile you know they're not the big macho guy that you know beating his chest and everything these are meek mild kind gentle sweet men and they're the ones that can get taken advantage of Mm. and and I mean, I think there's been maybe one or two situations that I have counseled where the man that came to me said, my pastor or my counselor is helping me. The rest rest of them have just utterly failed, and they've even turned against the man. So now think of this, that the man is already suffering in his home because of what's going on, and then he goes to his pastor, his shepherd, to help him, and now he gets more affliction, more burden. Mm -hmm double it's like a double you know condemnation on him so i mean these men are suicidal Mm -hmm. almost every one of them says i've i've contemplated suicide i have even planned it and plotted it out but i didn't do it well that that's how desperate this is and yet we can't wake people up enough we can't get the church's attention enough to say listen to this listen to these men just believe what they say you know the hashtag believe all women You know, believe all men. You know, Mm -hmm. there's not bad men, and Mm -hmm. and it's it's amazing. Every single man is is the same same way. But those are the men that can be manipulated and controlled. Yeah, become very passive. So you know, there's
0: a lot I can say about this, but I don't want to dominate our time. No, that's fine. That's fine because I think it is important when we talk about masculine and feminine sins which i've been talking about for a few years now talking about masculine sins it's easy to hear and to think about what do men struggle with from the garden forward and you hear passivity and aggression so dominance or passivity and you see those you know you see those archetype type sins in lives of men and you look at men you think okay those are usually they they really do reveal themselves in the life of, of the struggles of men in the same way even talking about this episode focusing on sins of women we focus on sins of men and that's a majority of my focus has been challenging men to step in up into the commands but God's commands to men identify sin propensities his prohibition to men prohibitions to men identify sin propensities for men the commands that God gives to women reveal sin propensities of women and those prohibitions they reveal sin propensities of the women and the Proverbs commands and prohibition that's it's like, beware, ladies, there, there's going to be a temptation here. And I, I think you're exactly right. It does go all the way back to the garden that these are these are woven into the the, the struggles of, of being a woman is going to be they're going to be common from woman to woman. And it's going to be this Genesis 316 thing that's just there from the beginning. And I got a question about Genesis 316 real quick, because as you know, there's there is controversy about the interpret- interpretation or even the, the translation of that word. And I think you're right. I think ESV does get it. Uh, correctly with the word contrary, as you look at uh, uh, Genesis chapter four, talking about sins, desires to rule over you with Cain. Like Are you familiar theology? with the paper that <laughs> came out in this, Yeah, <laughs> the exact <laughs> same like thing.
1: Those two words come together,
0: yeah. Exactly. But there has been controversy because it wasn't until the 70s, I think, that there was an article that came out and arguing for that interpretation of Genesis 3.16. I think it was a lady that wrote a, a paper in the 70s or something like that. It was, a, it was a theological paper submitted to some journal somewhere or something like that. But there has been controversy around that. Um, have you worked through that before? And because I think anecdotally, it's it's clear to see that I think that is the best interpretation of it, but there is, there is controversy around that. Would you speak to that controversy? I'm just assuming that you, you know, some of that and why you believe that is the best translation.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I I think that one of, one of the issues is, is that if there's a, a number of controversies, I'm not sure which one you're referring to, but some people look at it that well, male headship is a consequence of the fall yeah and 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 you go no we go back to genesis chapter two and before the fall and you see it very clearly it taught there and the other thing that's fascinating is that throughout the scriptures men are never told to submit to their wives Mm -hmm. not even once but there's countless times that wives are told to submit to their husbands and if i could just you know review like three key passages that um that I think are very, very important. They're pivotal passages that address this. Um, Ephesians 5.24 says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So in everything, not just the things that she wants to submit to, Mm -hmm. or the areas where she happens to agree with her husband. Submission is not just... Well, I'm not going to submit unless I agree with you. I mean, I've heard wives say that, Mm -hmm. but it says in everything, she doesn't get to pick and choose and say, well, I don't like your view on this husband. So I'm not going to submit to that. Right. Uh, Can we do that with Jesus? Jesus, I don't want to submit to you because I don't agree with this trial that you've got for me. I'm mad at you. I am angry. you know, of course we wouldn't say that, Mm -hmm. but that's one passage that makes that very clear. Uh, First Peter three, one, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see respectful and pure conduct now the likewise is appealing back to first peter chapter two where it talks about jesus when he was reviled he didn't revile in return but he suffered and even though he 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 was suffering he submitted to that to that suffering Mm -hmm. but um uh you know, we don't see, again, the scriptures ever telling the husband to submit to the wife. But here, even the husband who's disobeying the word of God, the wife is still safest when she submits to him. And when he sees her respectful and pure behavior, that's what's going to win him over, not her rebuking him, correcting him, nagging at him, telling him he's got to lead. And then one more passage that I... That I appeal to that I think is very important, Titus chapter two, verse five, where it's it's older women that are teaching and training the younger women. That's the context of this passage. And it says to teach them to be submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing about that passage is the word reviled there is a different word than we see in other Parts of of the scripture. This is the this is the word blasphemed, hmm. so that okay. the word of God is not blasphemed, because you know this tells us what a wife should do, but also the motivation for doing it as well. And if she does not submit to her husband, it's saying that she's blaspheming the word of God. Wow. Now this is the same word it's used where jesus was accused of being blasphemous he's blaspheming he's forgiving sins he's blaspheming he's he claims to be the son of god he's blas you know this is the same word that's used in both of those instances and so for the unsubmissive wife she's putting herself above the word of god it's not just mm-hmm. she's not submitting to her husband she's not submitting to god yeah and, and so this is this is crucial. This is this is very significant. There's a structure and order that God designed, not culture, not society, but what God designed. Well, now, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, my, you know, my my study on this lately, trying to figure out why is this happening? Why are we permitting wives to revile their husbands? And then blaming the husbands when they do the reviling. And, you know, Jared, I, I might be wrong on this, but the but what I see is critical theory hmm. in, in the church. Okay. And yet I see people saying, oh, no, we don't believe in critical theory. In fact, I've had new counselors tell me, oh, I, I don't believe in critical theory. And I go, well, you do here. Hmm. Because what's critical theory all about? It's a, There's always an oppressor and there's always an oppressed. Yeah. Thinking about racial issues okay, white people are always oppressing black people. It doesn't matter they're it's by their nature. And I see the same thing with this issue that men are wrong and wives are pure and they're, yeah. and they're right. Now, you and I yeah. know plenty of wonderful wives. My wife is wonderful. I'm sure your wife is. My mother is wonderful. My mom's 96 years old and she's still wonderful and sweet. So I'm not condemning women as a, as a people group. But I'm saying that these women that are reviling wives, you know, I think it's fitting into that philosophy of critical theory that's mm. that's looking for that problem. And here's one of the reasons why. If you ask a husband and wife about their problems and you see the, the wife that is, let's just say she's really furious and she's really angry about something. The average counselor is going to talk to her and say, "Wow, what did your husband do to get you so angry?" Mm-hmm. Now, if the shoe is reversed, now if the husband is angry and he's, you know, just really upset about something, what's the counselor going to do? They're going to say, "Husband, what are you so angry about?"
0: Right. Exactly.
1: You see the double standard, and and yeah. to me, it's it's like boy, it's always the guy. Mhm. Look at our society, you look at our culture, the men are always the bumbling fools, they're always the idiots. You see the TV shows, you see the movies, the women are always the heroes, they're always the or the the sheroes, you know, they're the the you know, the ones that are coming to rescue the poor hapless man. I mean, we see it in our culture, we see it in the world. You know, the world is our society in rebellion against God. So this has crept into the church. This is the only explanation that really makes sense to me. It's like it's crept in, and we don't even realize it. Well, and I think what we may not be woke churches in -hmm. other areas, but in this area, this this is a result of being woke. It's saying, you know, the man is always to blame. He's always he's responsible for every sin that his wife ever commits. In fact, he has to repent for his wife's sin, and it's like this is madness.
0: Yeah, absolutely madness. And I think another aspect of this is that men and pastors are terrified of women to address the sins of women. They're completely terrified. And I think it could be that, exactly what you're saying, critical theory. It could be the pervasiveness of feminism, where it even feels wrong to address the sins of women. But when we don't address the sins of women, not only we're we being unfaithful to God's word, but pastors listening in, you're actually robbing the women of your church and the marriages of your church from being healthy marriages and the women from being healthy women. And what I've witnessed in our church, as we've addressed feminine sins and worked through some of the things that you're talking about over the last several years, it, the women want to hear what God has to say. They're like, thank you that. for telling us. It's not right. that they're saying, Oh my goodness, I can't believe you're telling us what we're doing wrong. But it's like, we've known that something's not right. And these right. women have responded as we've addressed these sins of women in marriage and as we've addressed the sins of men, this isn't now we're going to, you know, decades addressing the, the sins of men. Now we're going to turn our attention to the women and never address the sins of men. Oh. But as you do this with the measure that that God addresses the sins of men and women, um, just to use our church as an example, the ladies in our church are like, give me more. I mean, please call us yeah. out. And see, there's see fruit. With,
1: a, with a woman that's pursuing God, that's what she's going to do. With a woman mm. that's just. And here's another, here's another issue, a woman that truly is regenerate. She is yep. born again. Amen. I've seen that over and over again, where the woman says, you know, you're, you're rebuking my, my husband. What about me? And and I go, gosh, you know, even me, I've written the book, The Abusive Wife, but I'm still soft on women too. <laughs> I'm not harsh and just beating them up or anything, but I've heard, you know, I was just counseling a couple the other day and the wife said, you know, you've been addressing my husband's sins, which needs to be addressed, but you haven't talked to me enough about, you know, my bitterness and my resentment and this and that. And I go, wow, I didn't, I thought I did, but obviously I wasn't. Yeah. But that's what I find in the godly woman that she says, help me, help me grow in the Lord too. But the reviling wife, now this is, this is a whole nother category. She gets offended. She accuses you of being a toxic male and she she gets up and storms and walks out of my office when I'm even so gentle in trying to address her own sin. Hmm. That's what happened, yep. and right. that and that's what the pastor and counselor is afraid of. It's like I don't want somebody to walk out of my church or my office, so I'll just I'll, I'll just tiptoe around the guy. He's probably <laughs> not going to get that mad, but boy, you you step on that kind of woman's toes,
0: yeah, game
1: over. And yeah, well, that's
0: why there's churches all across the country that are being guided by three or four women in the church that the pastor knows i can't i've got to walk around that woman and who ends up guiding the whole church is those three or four women
1: he's submitting to her yeah don't mess with that woman and i go that is sin see and the other thing too i found is that more of the feminists that i have learned that i have met are men not the women
0: men that are I tell you what the the, the the male feminist is there anything grosser than that
1: <laughs> that's what's so ironic and and likewise more of the women say you know I've had women that have read my book that are not reviling wives they say wow this is a great book I know a lot of women like this mm-hmm. yeah but the man, the man that doesn't that doesn't have a reviling wife he reads my book and he says I can't relate to this and I go <laughs> what's going on here how come the yeah. wife can get it and the man can't Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not thinking in that category they they don't even want to consider that it's possible for a woman to be that angry and rageful and bitter and nasty and cruel i want mm-hmm. to talk about something else jerry that's very important okay. that your listeners need to know about too it's what's called parental alienation i don't know if you're familiar with that term or not mm-hmm. but parental parental alienation is when it's usually the wife the wife turns the children against the father. Mm. He's a bad man, he's an oh, evil. Man. Don't talk to him, don't follow him, don't listen to him, don't follow in, don't submit to anything he says and she tears that relationship down with the children, whether the boys or girls it doesn't matter, she isolates those children from the the father and often he loses his kids. So mm. not only does he lose his wife, he loses his marriage, but he yeah. loses his role as a father. And, and this is the manipulative scheme that these reviling wives, again, we're not talking about every wife, but reviling wives, this is where it goes. They go to destroy the man. Mm-hmm. I talked to a man yesterday, and he said, my wife is deliberately injuring herself one she, he said she punched herself in the eye and she called the police on him oh, and, golly and, and another one a friend of mine that his wife threatened she said if you don't if you don't back off i'm going to go out in the driveway and scrape up my legs on the on the rocks and the gravel in the driveway and i'll call the police and we'll see who they believe hmm. see it's, it's hard to fathom a woman yeah. like that isn't it but they're out there a lot of them out there and they're in our churches. Don't mm. think they're not in our churches. They're in good, solid Bible teaching churches because they'll love the pastor. They'll love his preaching. He'll even preach on male headship and women submitting and say, Oh, I love that. I love that. And then they come in my in my office and counseling and I hold them accountable to that. And they say, wait a minute, that's not me. That's those other women.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what Michael Foster and non-tenant, they call the white knight. You know, the white knight is the pastor who goes hard at the men and then ends up winning the hearts of all the women in the church. And they're all thinking, oh, if only my husband were like him (laughs) kind of thing. Well, I've
1: Uh, I've been talking about something further. I've been talking about the pastor that's preaching women need to submit to their husbands and they like that when mm -hmm. they hear it preached, but then they get in the counseling office and then they reject it and they say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to submit. I don't I don't feel safe. Here's mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. of the buzzwords. I don't feel safe. Now, think again about the, the husband or the counselor or the pastor. It's like, boy, I got to rush to her defense. She doesn't feel safe. What do you mean? What's mm-hmm. going on? Boy, this man must be terrible. I've got to protect this poor woman against this terrible man. Yeah, you automatically Get into defensive mode to protect this wife. That's what you'll do as a pastor. That's what you'll do as a counselor. But you've got to drill down and ask more questions. What do you mean you don't feel safe? Has he hit mm-hmm. you? Has he threatened you? Has he got knives out? Has he molested the children? Has he has he you know raped you? Has he, what has he done? What What do you mean you don't feel safe? And when you really press the woman that says that, they almost without fail they say. Well, I didn't like what he asked me to do. Mm. Was it sinful? No, it wasn't sinful, but I just I don't agree with him. And yeah. that's why I don't feel safe. You see, the the critical theory again, the oppressed yeah, right. and oppressor. It's the same, same thinking, it's the same philosophy. So this is this is what happens. But to get back to the parental alienation, I've got see, I have an online uh, men's group of men that have been through this. It's like okay. men. It's like men that went to war and they come back from the war and they go, nobody understands what I'm going through except another man that's experienced this. I can mm-hmm. talk to my, or even my best friend. He doesn't get it, but I've got dozens of guys. And so this is a shout out to my brothers in my, in my men's group that, that we meet with. So, mm, yeah. Well, do, God, do you... guys. So these guys need help They mm-hmm. need that help. And I would invite any of your listeners contact me if you're going through this or if you know someone that's going through it i'd be glad to talk to you you know i'll yeah. give you my phone number my email i you know it's like oh that's crazy to do that online but i don't <laughs> i want to help i want to help men
0: well we're going to put all that information in the show notes so people can reach out if they need to do you right. think the last 10 years 15 years of the manosphere red pill thing is a unholy response i mean obviously it's unholy but is that been has that been an unholy response to this Pervasive cultural issue, um, and you know, then there's the the Christian side of things that have, have started to be like, hey, you know, we we're we're for the we're wanting to raise up and build up men here rather than tear men down, and that's been actually there's been holy group of men that have been calling men to um, to really good and right things, and and uh, but do you see that as a th- this is an unholy response that because we're trying to be advocates here for men, but we don't necessarily have the tools to know how to do that in the right way.
1: Yeah, so clarify what you mean. What what's the un- unholy response? So the unholy
0: would be the manosphere out there. So like the the Rolo Tomassi, the that you know the Jack Donovans of the world that are speaking to men, but they don't have a godly framework of what even manhood is, or or to be a good husband no. or father is.
1: Definitely, Andrew Tate guys. Yes, like that. exactly. Exactly. No, it's 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 trying to solve the problem using the world's philosophy. Yeah. And it's and it is deadly, and it's and it's going to it's going to hurt men and women and
0: children. But it sucks some of those guys in because they're looking for something. Well, it's because of the
1: vacuum in the church. Yeah, exactly. Because the church is not rising up and saying, "Look, we've got to teach strong masculinity," and that's not something that we should apologize for. But yeah, I can understand that. You know, even Jordan Peterson. I love Jordan Peterson. I think he's wonderful, but. You know, he's not operating from a biblical perspective on things. So I go, right. Well, he again we get back to he's not dealing with the heart. Mm-hmm. He gives some good advice and some good counsel. Yeah. And he does. I mean, I love the guy. I think he's very, very sharp and very articulate, but you've got to deal with the man's heart. You got mm-hmm. to deal with you know, and and this is the other thing, Jared, that I that I should say to your to your listeners, is that any man that is going through this right now. This is going to be the most sanctifying time in your life if mm-hmm. if you pursue the Lord with all your heart. there There's things that you're going to learn through this. first of all, like suffering is necessary one mm-hmm. like six talks about it being if necessary. You're going to learn about compassion and patience, like colossians three twelve says to put on mm-hmm. compassion hearts, put on patience. He's going to learn about forgiveness. Uh, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, this is, this is evident that he, this is making evident that he's born again too, that Mm -hmm. that he is forgiving towards his wife. And this is also contrary to showing that she's probably not born again because she's not only bitter, she's completely unforgiving and not, and not going to submit to him and follow him. Mm -hmm. But the men out there, they're going to learn uh, sanctifying things through this. This is not something to just run away from. They're gonna learn about their own anger and their own bitterness because like Hebrews 12 says that bitterness defiles many, it, it affects others. So you've got a bitter wife, there's husbands out there that are struggling being bitter right back at them because, mm-hmm. they, and they're bitter at their churches and their pastors and their counselors too. So men need to learn this and 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 say, God, sanctify me. Men need to learn how to lament. This is something else. That's not self-pity. We've got a Mm -hmm. whole book in the Bible called the Lamentations, you know, from Jeremiah. Uh, You know, look at Lamentations chapter three. It's recognizing God did this. God did Mm -hmm. this. Look at the, the refrain that Jeremiah gives there. God did this. It's over and over and over again. So you go, God is working in you, husband, as you're going through all of these afflictions. So stand under it, but recognize, acknowledge your weakness and acknowledge that you need to grow as a male leader ahead in yeah. your home. You have got to stand up to the reviling wife. She will never back down. Hmm. She will never follow you until you stand up to her. Even then, she may just leave. Yeah, right. But it's, you know, like the Proverbs we said, it's it's better to be out yep. in the desert or on the on the rooftop than to be with a quarrelsome wife. Mm-hmm. It is agonizing. It is painful. It is like no pain that you and I have ever gone through to be in this kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. It is, it is a soul pain that is so hard for these men. And my heart goes out to them. And I'll say one other thing too. Um, but well, there's so many things I want to say, but I know we got <laughs> a little bit of time. um, I, when, when a man contacts me and says, Hey, I've got a reviling wife and I need help. Here's what I always say. I say, okay, Let's try to get your wife involved in the counseling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't want to just talk to you. Yeah. I want to talk right. to you and her together. Counsel together. Do not, pastor, counselor, if you're listening, do not counsel the man and the woman separately. Do not do it. You're entertaining gossip and you're going to get deceived.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you're not going to help them. So I always invite the man. I say, please invite your wife. Tell her she can call me and talk to me ahead of time. But I I want I want to reconcile your marriage and save your marriage. I'm not just, I got to rescue the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's so important because we're not here trying to destroy marriages. We're trying to save marriage. Amen. Home. That's good. Get the wife involved. There's the possibility of saving that marriage and saving that wife from destroying her own home from the Proverbs 14, 1, just tearing her own house down. Yeah. But if the wife will not listen, or, or if she won't even come to me for counseling, I'll still talk to the man. Mm-hmm. I'll, I still because he's suffering. He needs help.
0: Yeah, he needs help. I'd rather
1: yep. have both of them, but if she's refusing, and many of them do, Jared, then I'll talk to the guy because mm-hmm. he needs help. He is he is floundering. You don't know what he's going through because he doesn't he doesn't talk to his pastor because his pastor just kind of moves away from him and says, "Well, yeah. you know, find a counselor that's going to help you. It's like, you're my shepherd, you're my mm-hmm. pastor. Help me. Help me."
0: Yeah. So, well, um this has been a really good conversation. Difficult thinking about marriages that are struggling and I am thankful as you are that I don't have to experience the things that so many do. And if you are a listener and thinking through the difficulty of the, the situation that you're in, then reach out to Dr. Edgington and uh, we we are going to wrap things up. There's so many things that have been left unsaid that we could talk about. And I would love to pick your brain for, you know, a couple more hours, but we're going to wrap things up and send people to your book. So tell them again where they can find more information about you and your work.
1: Okay. My website is compassionatecounselors.com. So you can find more information there. I've got a number, I've got actually four books that I've written. The abusive wife was the first one. You can find all of them there on the website. Um, my phone number I give you my phone number 602-384-4417 I know that's crazy to put your phone out there on the internet but so be it you know I want to help I want to help men and you can email me also it's counsel the word at pm.me so counsel c o u n s e l the word w o r d at pm paul M-E, michael okay. edward and I'd be glad to help you. I will. I will respond to your email, to your phone call. I'll get back with you. Just remember, it's going to take me a little time sometimes because I got a lot of other guys that need that help. But okay. I'd be glad. I'd be glad to help men and again women too. I've had a number of women that have contacted me and said, "I'm a reviling wife. I recognize myself in the podcast." And I go, "Wow! Praise God hmm. for His conviction from the Holy Spirit that He opens her eyes." She needs to humble herself under God's word and I'll, I'll help her. I'll walk through it with her. So,
0: okay. Well, God's glory gets the last word here. I ask everybody the same question at the end. Uh, David, why do you love Jesus?
1: (laughs) Well, there's a, a a number of reasons for that. I I love the song of songs because the song of songs talks about that wonderful love, not only between a husband and wife, but the love between the saints, the individual believer and the savior jesus christ and it's mutual it's back mm-hmm. and forth and i wrote a book on that too romancing your savior and your spouse because it's such a wonderful oh, wow. wonderful picture of of what our relationship should be like proverbs twenty two thirty seven says what the greatest commandment is a lot of people don't remember what it is it's to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength that's the greatest commandment. So there's nothing better for us to do than to love the Lord our God. We mm. could do all kinds of things. We could, you know, heal the sick. We could give all our money away. But if we don't love God, you know, we're missing we're missing the greatest of the commandments. So, mm. um, so that's that's me. And, and I'm I'm yeah. so glad to ask that question too because it is so crucial um, that um, you know we love God because He loved us first. Amen. Amen. Love us. And he saved so Those us. So good. Owes well, us. How could we not love him?
0: Well, guys, we have been talking to Dr. David Edgington. David, thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. Amen. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. For more information, you can go to shepherdscrook.co. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. And if you want to become a member of the Shepherd's Crook, please message me and we'll get you on the list. We hope you have a great rest of your day.